This podcast episode is brought to you by the Outcomes Rocket Network, where you get your healthcare insights from the most inspiring healthcare podcasters. For many people today, healthcare feels like we're behind enemy lines. The system is geared to take care of us, but why do we feel like we're in it alone? Everyday stories are a powerful way to shine light on the gaps that make it feel this way. I'd like to welcome you to Everyone Hates Healthcare, where we bring you real people's healthcare stories, unfiltered. And now your host, Michael Swartz. Hey, everybody. Michael Swartz here, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Today, I want to bring you an inspiring guest. Her name is Dr. Chris Racinos, and she's the CEO and founder of Nurse Leaders Network. She's also a nurse executive, entrepreneur, innovator, podcast host, and speaker. Not only that, she's the creator of the mental health app for teens, Hello Harmony. Her former roles include chief nursing executive for Kaiser Permiente South Bay Medical Center, deputy nurse executive for the Veterans Administration, and a variety of nursing professor, practitioner, and registered nurse roles. In her spare time, the time that she has, she can be found advocating for mental health and suicide prevention policies. Chris, I am so excited to have you here on the podcast. Thanks for joining. I am thrilled to be here. I um, just can't wait till we dig in. So thanks for having me. Me as well. So tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your story. What else your journey into healthcare? How did you end up building the Nurse Leader Network? Yeah. So it started off actually pretty young. I, I remember when I was like five years old, I was like the nurturer of all the pets in the house and, um, you know, just really enjoyed caregiving. And I used to, on my way to school, pass by a hospital and I saw these nurses and I was like, I want to do that. And it was always nursing. I don't know why it wasn't a doctor. It wasn't anything else. And I remember in middle school, one of my teachers saying, hey, think about being a doctor. Like, why do you want to be a nurse? They don't get the credit. They don't get paid well. You're a really smart girl going to becoming a doctor, you know? And I was like, well, nurses are smart too. And, you know, that was kind of that. Well, fast forward a little bit and I ended up going into the foster care system. My mom had a substance abuse problem and had seven children and all of us ended up in foster care. And as you know, what goes with a lot of different foster cares, you get bounced around from home to home. And I found myself at 14 years old in the hospital. Uh, Guess what I was in the hospital for at 14? What was that? I was in the worst pain of my life and I was getting ready to birth my first baby. So I was 14 years old in the hospital, scared. Uh, The way they did it back in the 90s was they just dropped you off at the hospital. And then, you know, they told the hospital when she's ready to be picked up, let me know. So I had nobody there with me. And um, I had my nurse. She was the only one really that was there. And then when I was released back to the foster care system, again, it was a nurse who really taught me how to put diapers on that baby. And, you know, I'm like still playing with Barbie dolls at this time, but really just taught me how to become a mom. And she had no clue how much she influenced me because I realized at that point, like, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to help other people with, you know, whatever deficits that they have. I want to help people in general. Like, that's what I want to do. I want to be a change maker. I want to be a nurse. And it was like solidified. So I'll continue on that journey in a minute, but just quick kind of turnaround. That nurse, uh, her name was Jennifer. And I thought about her like, oh, you know, through when I was going through school and like, you know, I just want to be like her. I remember like thinking of the clothes that she would wear, like the scrubs. And I just really want to emulate her. And, you know, I go through my career, go on and, you know, get a PhD and do all these really cool, fun things. And then in my 30s, become a chief nurse executive. And I remember like a month into working as a chief nurse executive, I'm giving out this award to one of my units for doing some amazing things with their patients. And I see this nurse and I'm like, 
oh, I know her. Like we used to work together in the emergency room together. Or like, I was trying to figure out like where we had worked. Was it the VA or like, where did we work together? And then she was looking at me like she was trying to remember where we worked together too. And then her eyes start watering and then my eyes start watering and then like I lose it and she loses it. And then my boss and all the other regional people start looking at us like, what the hell are these two people crying about? She was that nurse. She was a nurse from when I was 14 years old in my group home. So, you know, I went up to her and gave her a hug. I was like, Jennifer. And she's like, oh my God, like what is going on? And I was like, this is because of you. Like this, I became a nurse because of you. So it was like full circle of this woman who inspired me. And now I had the opportunity to lead her in the hospital that she was working at. So um, you never know who you're, yeah. And who you're influencing is really kind of cool. But, you know, I I went along in my path and I knew as a foster kid, like I never wanted to be homeless. I never wanted to end up losing custody of my daughter the way my mom had. And so I really, really sacrificed a lot to get where I was. I went and got a master's, got a doctorate, like pushed and pushed and pushed all these executive roles. And then 2017 happened. So I woke up on uh, January 13th of 2017, a typical normal day. And that baby I had had when I was 14, her name was Harmony. She uh, was a pre-med student at UCLA by that time. And so super proud of her. And I get up, I go to her bed to go wake her up because I'm like, what's going on? Like, usually she left the house before I I had left. And uh, there was a note on the floor and her door was closed. And the note said, I love you. Don't let the kids see harm. And so I walk in the door and I found my daughter lifeless in her bed. She had taken her life. Oh my God. At that point, I, um, you know, I was pregnant. I was four months pregnant. Uh, I remember doing chest compressions on her. I remember doing everything that I could as a nurse, all these, you know, experiences that I had learned and everything that I had tried uh, and I couldn't bring her back. And as I was getting ready to write my speech for her funeral, I realized I didn't have a lot of memories. I didn't have those PTA memories. I didn't have her going to her soccer game memories. I didn't have going to her doctor's appointments memories. My husband had all those memories. And I realized that I had sacrificed way more than I had realized um, when my daughter passed. And I realized I couldn't get that time back with her. And that's really where my entire life kind of changed. I said, okay, I I realized the huge mistakes I made. I can't go back. I can't get that time with her. But there's literally nothing on this earth that's going to make me sacrifice the time that I have with the kids that I have and the family um, that are still with me today. Uh, so I, um, so sorry. Yeah. Thank you. So as I like started having these revelations, I um, began looking at my own staff and they, you know, we're all struggling. We were all struggling. And then the pandemic hits and forget it. It was even worse. Um, you know, we used to joke that we were like the worst moms on the planet. Like we deserve the worst mom of the year award because of how much we were working during, during the pandemic. I realized how underprepared we were as a leadership team in nursing. And I realized uh, a lot of the gaps that across the country, um, nurses and healthcare were facing in terms of leadership. And um, I decided at that point, it was time for me to make a pivot in my life. And I decided to open up the Nurse Leader Network, which really helps give tools to aspiring and current nurse leaders so that they're not sacrificing those really important things in their life to grow and, you know, have success in their career and have amazing outcomes and revolutionize healthcare. So that's kind of how it started. It was, I never thought I'd be an entrepreneur. I thought I'd be an, uh, you know, a nurse at the bedside forever. I didn't want to become an administrator. I thought they were the devil. And, um, you know, life just kind of has taken me here. And so, Flash forward to currently where I'm at, I uh, recently won an award from Johnson & Johnson, and that has helped me to develop this app, Hello Harmony, which is intended to help prevent suicide in teens for obvious reasons. And that's where I'm at. And who knows where I'll be like in 10 years from now. I have no idea. I might be on the moon. I don't know. You just never know. That's incredible. What a journey. Do you still keep in touch with Jennifer? Oh, yeah. 
yeah, we're on Facebook and it's so funny because, you know, I was like 14 and she had a son that was around my age. And so her son, when I was a teen, I was like, oh my God, he's really cute. And he used to think I was really cute. And so like the second thing out of my mouth after I was like, oh, you inspired me. I was like, hey, how's your son? <laughs> now I'm a married woman. Okay. So I, like it wasn't really meaning it, but it was just interesting to see how our families had grown up and how she had matured into who she was. And uh, I definitely still see her as a mentor, even though she probably was like, shut up. I don't know why you see me as a mentor. Um, but yeah, we definitely keep in touch. It's incredible that your roads crossed. That's just how the world works. I know, right? I mean, like it wasn't even anywhere near where I lived in foster care. It was in Los Angeles County, but it was very far away from where my group home was. And the Kaiser that she worked at, she had been there for years. I think it was like 16 or something years prior to me getting there. So it was just kind of a, you know, interesting cross of paths and uh, super lucky on my behalf to be able to, to see her again. And how many years later was it from when oh. she was helping you at first? I think the last time I had seen her was probably about 15 years old. And then I was 38 when I saw her again. So you can do the math on that one, but wow, <laughs> that's a long time. Wow. That's absolutely incredible. So tell me a little bit about Hello Harmony. I'm really interested to hear about that. How's that going? So, you know, it was interesting because I, first of all, I never thought I would ever create an app. Like I was just like, I, okay. The last time I picked up any type of technology, like no joke, besides a, like a pager, I was playing like Super Mario Brothers, like the very first one that ever came out ever. And that's my experience with tech. And so, I was, you know, I was like, uh, that's I'm the wrong person. But I happened to be at um, this nurse hack for health, which is put on by Johnson and Johnson, Microsoft and Sanseo. And, you know, I was sitting there trying to like break my mind. Like, what should I like? What am I going to create? Or, you know, maybe I'll, I'll latch on to another group and help them with their creation and I ended up registering really late and not having a group to kind of latch on to. So I was like, okay, I, I got to figure something out. And as I was sitting there, I was talking to my kids and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm at this innovation thing. Like, what's the biggest problem you think we could solve? And of course, all other minds is suicide, right? We lost our their sister and my daughter to suicide. And I was like, I can't solve that. And um, my 10 year old, who is, you know, like a little tech genius, he's like, why don't you create an app? And I was like, uh, OK, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. And in my mind, I'm sitting here thinking like, you know, an app that I would use, right? Like something like up to date where I kind of go on and I see how to prevail. Let me do some meditation. And my son's like, mom, you're boring. And I was like, yeah, I am. And he's like, no, you got to make it like a game. And I was like, what kind of game? And we literally just sat and talked. And there was a couple of the nurses that ended up joining my group. And they also had kids that had suffered from some type of mental health issue. And so we all sat down and had these like mini focus groups with these kids. Like, what would you play with? What would you want to do? And we ended up coming up with an app where these kids go on and they create their like friends. So think of like a little emoji that they, you know, create, they design the way they look and, and whatnot. And then they can pick the game that they want to enter in with their friends. So whatever, you know, maybe they're from like baseball or pool or whatever. And then when they go into that game, a chat box takes over the aspect of the friend and begins having conversations with these kids that are based in evidence around normalizing the conversation around mental health. So my daughter, prior to her passing, some of her friends actually knew that uh, she had been thinking about this, but they didn't know how to have the conversation. They didn't know how to help her. And so this app is really designed to help normalize the conversation around, like, I actually don't want to live. And so it'll also be identifying. So if there's children that are at risk, we are looking at um, some different partnerships so that they could get immediate access to care. Um, so it'll be partially to help them have the conversation um, and then partially to screen at risk youth and make sure we get them services prior to something happening. And I think people don't understand how prevalent this issue is. So from kids that are in the ages or the grades of nine to 12, research has shown that one in five of them has either contemplated or made a plan for suicide at some point in that time. That's one in five kids in ninth to 12th grade. 
so, you know, I always thought it wasn't going to be me. Like, no, my daughter would never do that. Like I, we had had conversations about suicide because we had other people in our family that had died. And she was like, I would, I would never do that. And I was like, I would never do that either. But you just don't realize how things can change so quickly in the minds of these kids. It's un- unbelievable. And can people get the app? Can parents go on and get the app for their children? Not yet. So we have the, we have an MVP form of it right now. And we're working on um, getting some of the API, which is um, the integrations so that that referral process could take place. I'm hoping that we can release beta by the end of this year. So um, in a couple more months, we're working with the developer right now. And so we have a couple different things going on, but the hope is that we have it in beta. And then quickly after beta, um, we'll be looking at scaling it. So if any of the listeners are interested, where would they go to sign up for the beta? So they actually, right now, I don't have a sign up page for the beta, but if they're interested in kind of learning about the process, they could find me on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, I'm Chris Racino. So, and I think I'm the only Chris Racinos there. They can find me there. And that's where I'm putting kind of product updates. And then I do have an Instagram page, which I literally just opened up the page. It's called Hello Harmony. And uh, you'll see our sign. It's a blue and pink sign that says Hello Harmony. And I'll be putting all the updates there. And that's where we'll put the, the link for the sign up for beta. That's awesome. I'm going to be following. I'm sure many of the listeners are going to be following the launch of this because I haven't seen anything out there that focus on this and creating a game for children. It's just very, very inspiring. And as you said, well needed. Yeah, definitely. We're hoping that, you know, her, my daughter's life wasn't, we, we can find some purpose in her loss, which is to make sure other parents don't end up in our shoes. That's really the goal behind it. We, we, you know, unfortunately in healthcare, there's one huge disservice that, that we've done to ourselves and that is prioritize physical health over mental health. And I think what a lot of people are now beginning to realize as a result of the pandemic is that your mental health has to be in place first or it doesn't matter what your physical health looks like. If you, you know, end up having diabetes and that's what we're trying to treat as diabetes, if your mental health's not on par with making behavioral changes, if we don't really understand the things that have led to this, we can't treat it. We can give you pills all day for the diabetes and give you insulin all day, but we're never going to be able to correct it because we really need to get to the mental health aspect of what's got you to here in the first place. And so, you know, I think we're spending so much money on like pharmaceuticals and all of these things. Whereas if we had diverted even a fraction of that money towards mental health, um, we would see these things kind of self-alleviate. We'd really be preventative versus saying we're preventative, um, but really not taking in the whole person uh, when it comes to prevention. It's so true. And I think as awful as COVID was, I do think one of the things that happened from it was people now focusing on mental health. I'm seeing more and more employers uh, looking for offerings for their employee benefits as it comes to mental health, because it is interconnected. You can't be healthy, just the physical side, it's the mental as well. Yeah, that is, it's great. And we have a huge disconnect with access. So um, when this happened with my daughter, she actually had been hospitalized um, prior to this happening for suicidal ideation. And she, you know, was sick in the hospital seven days a week, had nursing care and then was released. And her first appointment after being released wasn't a month later. So how do we reconcile saying, you know, you have to be under 24 care observation to now we only got to see you once a month with the blink of a switch, you know, and it's really because of access across the nation. And as it becomes more prevalent, we're just seeing huge gaps and lack of access, uh, which, you know, really makes people give up. I'll give you an example with Talkspace. I actually signed up for Talkspace. My husband and I signed up for marriage therapy with Talkspace because after you lose a child, like marriages tend to crumble. 
And I'm not joking. We had five different counselors cancel on us. So from the time we signed up, it used all of our credits for the like month and a half that we paid for it. And we never got to talk to anybody. Um, And so it was just kind of like, wait a minute, like this is only mental health. It's supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be accessible. But, you know, when we finally did talk to a therapist, she said, there's just not enough of us to take the caseloads that we have. And I see that across the nation beyond Talkspace, but looking at even direct patient care or other tele aspects of access to care. It's just, it's not acceptable where access to care is right now. Yeah. I mean, how how can you provide any sort of mental health if you can't even use your Talkspace credits? It just gets used up. I mean, what do you think can be done to get people getting into mental health and creating more access? Like, what can we do? So, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that need to be done. I think number one, you know, we have several programs for nursing and for physicians around um, like help with cost of education. We have a lot of different programs, for example, like in the elementary schools, I know that there's, I've seen programs where they have like occupational days and they'll bring in a doctor or they'll bring in a nurse or, but I think we really need to start introducing these kids to this profession really, really early on. You know, and and not just this profession, I think there's a lot of other ones, but with mental health in particular, I think that is one where we need to really start looking at. I think, you know, there's been this huge study called ACEs or Adverse Childhood Events. And it's we're finding now that these things that are happening on, you know, early on in childhood are leading to these really traumatic events after and leading to things like cancer and cardiovascular risk. And so I think we need to really look at like early childhood programs and how we're really supporting these communities that are struggling or these families that are struggling with really providing their kids the necessities or, you know, we're born and we do not come with a handbook. And so a lot of parents are not prepared to really give their kids what they need. I I, like I go back to thinking when I was really, really young before, right when I was going into foster care, um, I stayed with my grandfather for like a month. And at this time I was 12 years old and, you know, he tells me, go, go wash the dishes. And I'm like, okay. And so I literally like dump, you know, half the bottle of soap on the dishes. And like, I have the water running for an hour. And my grandpa walked up to me and he's like, Uh, did your mom like not even teach you how to wash dishes? And I was like, no, she didn't. And we don't, we are just so busy. We're so busy with our lives, our work with this and that, that we're not teaching our kids some of the life skills that they need to be resilient as they grow up. And so we need to really think about how do we support families and communities early on? And then I think we really need to be mindful of, we know that there's huge issues to access to care. Yes, we want these social workers and these therapists and these psychologists to be seeing more patients, but they're human too. And so we have to find a balance of letting them also have their respite because it is very hard to be dealing with other people's mental health issues all day. You carry that. You carry it, you know, with you as a human. There's no way to avoid that. In nursing, we do that all the time, right? I remember one night I had three baby patients die. I was working in the ER and three baby patients that night died. And I had to literally flip the switch from helping this grieving mom to now walking into the next room with somebody who had something else and act like nothing was wrong. When deep down inside, I was dying. One of those kids was my son's age. And I just could see my son's face as I worked on this child. And so, you know, we really have to look at how to strengthen and support these folks that are going into mental health because they're burning out and they're leaving and it's causing more issues with access to care. Yeah. I mean, how how did you handle experiencing something like that? And if somebody's in that same situation, if they're a nurse, if they're in healthcare, if they're in mental health, how did you be able to flip that switch? So I left. I did what most people are doing, which is they leave. And so I... I left for, there's a variety of reasons why I left that emergency room job. One of them was because I was pregnant and chest compressions when you're eight months pregnant is not fun. So having patients come in that needed chest compressions while I was pregnant just didn't feel good. And so that was one of the reasons I left, but I really was taking, 
I had a hard time separating like for adults. I would, I could do that. But when pediatric patients came in, especially because a lot of them were my kids' age, like I just had a hard time separating it and I left. A lot of people don't do that. Some will stay and then they absorb that burnout. And then that's when we start seeing things manifest with chronic inflammation and chronic disease. And, you know, if you look at nurses right now, like 50% of us are overweight. Um, and so if we're not managing these events that are happening, if we're not talking to therapy and getting our own sources of like respite and taking care of ourselves first, which as caregivers, we're crappy at doing, we do not do that very well. We're going to burn out and we're going to see the effects of it where we either leave the profession, which right now one in three nurses who graduate are leaving the profession in the first three years after graduation, really? or two, we end up absorbing it and then our own health suffers. So it's important to really, like I said, start, you need to feed yourself first. You got to put the oxygen on yourself first before you can give to others because we just don't show up good for our patients and we don't show up good for our families if we're not taking care of ourselves first. One in three nurses are burning out. That's a scary, scary thought. It's a scary thought. It's a scary thought because when you go to the hospital, you're not going there for respiratory therapist. You're not going there for the doctor. You're literally going there for nursing care. That's it. You go to the hospital for nursing care. There's not one person there that is not going to be touched by a nurse when you go to the hospital. We have healthcare systems that are being ran by people that are not in nursing. So, I mean, can you imagine like Toyota, for example, being run by being run by like a, you know, a farmer. It makes no sense that None. there's somebody who doesn't have our expertise that are running or these facilities and that are making these, these um, changes in policy. They're impacting the way that these hospitals are reimbursed. So we really need more nurses to take seats at the table to help drive what we know is best for our patients, what we know is best for healthcare, because the savings are going to come with that. So we're going to see savings. Yeah. If we have more nurses at the table. No question. And the thing that I think is so powerful about a nurse in a leadership role at these health systems is they're focused on the patient experience. I mean, if you go to the hospital and you have a bad experience, what's the reason for that? But if you have a great experience, it's not a lot of times it's not because the doctor provided such great bedside manner. It's that nurse was there providing that experience, providing that care. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of healthcare systems fail to recognize. And that is if we take good care of our nurses, if they're not concerned about staffing and their license, you know, uh, going into the trash because they feel like they're working in unsafe conditions. If we take care of our nurses, they will inevitably take the best care of our patients. And so sometimes the numbers and the dollars get in the way of that when it comes to an allocation perspective. And we're just reimbursing incorrectly. We're reimbursing and we're literally like reinforcing a bad habit. We're reinforcing, like continue to get these numbers, continue to get all these things. And, and we try and say, okay, now we have the triple or the quadruple aim. And now we have, you know, we're going to really do these focuses on quality, but there's so many ways to game the system and so many loopholes um, that need to be closed up. And I think at this point in American healthcare, it's beyond making incremental changes. It really is going to take something like throwing the baby out with the bathwater and really restructuring the way that we provide healthcare. But who's going to do it? Right. We what we talk. Everybody talks. We're on a podcast talking right now. But who are those that are going to step up and say enough is enough? I think, you know, what we need to do and what I know um, some several nursing organizations are working on is really involve the community. So we know what's going on in these hospitals. We have this voice. We've you know been labeled heroes, whatnot, which heroes is another thing that I think a lot of nurses don't really appreciate being called because we we're forced to do it. It wasn't something that like Superman he wanted to do. Um, but we really need to get the spy in of these stakeholders who are the exact people that we're taking care of. If they understood what was going on and they lobbied behind us and they helped us get these policies changed, we would have a different United States healthcare system. Agreed. Have you ever thought about running for office? <laughs> 
you know, I'm not like, I'm seriously not joking. I was actually talking to my husband like last year and I was like, hey, I said, you know, one day I'm going to run for LA County mayor, right? And he's like, I'll support you. <laughs> so like, I honestly, I have thought about running for office. I'm just not ready at this point because I have really young kids. And I, again, like I'm really mindful of my work-life balance, but there's plenty of other nurses that are ripe. They're ready. They can do it yeah. today. And it just takes that guiding. There's actually a really great uh, mayor out here in um, Yorba Linda, which is in Southern California. And her name is Mayor Beth Haney. And she's a nurse practitioner. So she really is like coming alongside of nursing. And she did great things during the pandemic. She set up for her entire police department how to use PPE and all of these training programs because of her expertise. And so I think we just need to really get the number one trusted profession, right? Nursing is for 17 years in a row, we have been the number one trusted profession. Imagine if we actually trusted our politicians how everything in the United States would change. So oh. I think we need more nurses at the at the political table as well. We need more nurses that, you know, just have different perspectives. But until we start, I think, opening up people's eyes, especially when it comes to education right now, we teach people to become clinicians. We're not teaching them to become nurse entrepreneurs or nurse innovators or nurse politicians or nurses in finance. We're not teaching any of that. And we're doing a disservice to ourselves by doing that. And that's the incredible thing about your story from going from nurse to tech entrepreneur. I mean, it's, it's inspiring. If you were to run for office, I'll tell you what, you have my vote. <laughs> awesome. So what would you say, what would you tell the listeners based off of your journey that whether they're parents, nurses, what do you want them to walk away with from, from your story? How can they make sure that they are either supporting nurses or uh, if they have children, uh, making sure that they're moving forward? I would start off by going even beyond that, which is um, you have got to take care of yourself first. There's a lot of us uh, overachievers and high achievers out there. There's a lot of us that are married to our jobs. Um, there's a lot of us that the hustle and the bustle, the, the traffic, the community, like we just don't take time out for ourselves to really appreciate where we are in our life, to appreciate the things and the people that we have in our life and to really give back to ourselves. We, you know, how many times, and this is rhetorical, but how many times over the last month have you deliberately carve time out in your schedule to do nothing, to take care of yourself, whatever that might look like. I'm betting not a whole lot, right? A lot of us don't say, okay, on Friday from 12 to four, I'm not available because I'm going to go hang at a park because that's what makes me feel good. Yeah. Um, so I would start off by saying, be a good role model. I, I saw in myself how bad of a role model I was being, being because as I had this adoption of like constantly work, 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 I began to see it in my kids where they were like, no, I can't come to this holiday thing because I have to work. And I'm like, yeah, work at Starbucks. Like, you, and you don't need money. You're 16, 17 years old, but they began to develop a work ethic that way, which was just terrible. Like they were just not taking care of them. They'd go in when they were sick. And so again, take care of yourself and be that role model for yourself around like I come first. It's not selfish to have self-care. And then, so that would be like step one. Step two, I would say for those parents that are listening is, you know, have conversations with their kids. I, I had conversations with my daughter and I wasn't asking the right questions. I wasn't in the right conversations. And when you have a kid that's struggling, you really need to use the words, do you have a plan to kill yourself? Do you want to kill yourself? It's not enough to say, do you want to hurt yourself? A lot of times they don't see it as hurt. If I had asked my daughter, do you want to hurt yourself? Her answer is going to be no, because she doesn't want to hurt. She actually wants to end the pain, um, which is why they go and take that step 
to dying um, because to them, that's not going to extend the pain. It's going to stop it. So have these conversations with, you know, loved ones or friends or family that you think may be exhibiting signs of, you know, depression. Maybe they're losing weight or gaining weight. Maybe they're not um, involved, you know, in the activities that they really like. Maybe they're giving away things. Maybe they're having trouble sleeping or sleeping too much. Any of these kind of signs, you want to start those conversations early. Use those words. Don't be shy because that's how we normalize those words. Like, do you want to die? I mean, is that where, and you know, they're going to say, no, I don't want to die. But do you have plans to die? Do you have a plan in place that begins to make it so that it's people are not embarrassed to have those conversations and not embarrassed to have that. I think a third is as consumers, it's really important for you all to get involved. Everybody saw, right. We were locked down from coronavirus because we didn't have space in the hospital. That was the issue. That was why, right. We didn't want to spread it because then our hospitals would get overwhelmed, right. We obviously don't want people to die. But we didn't have places and facilities for people to be taken care of, right? That was part of the metrics across the states. Like how saturated are your hospitals? So as consumers, like take charge in your role in healthcare. You can't sit and let politicians decide everything. Politicians will listen to you if you're an active stakeholder in this. Get with your local nursing groups or your hospitals. Really have a say. We, we want the voice of the consumer and the way that we provide care. And if we don't hear your voice, we're going to make up what that is and attempt to give it to you in the best way that might not be really the best way for you. So I would say really get involved. And then for those um, nurses that are listening, again, self-care is number one, but it is your job as a nurse to lead. So you might not have some fancy title, you might not have, you know, a PhD, and that doesn't matter. The minute you have, you know, LPN, LVN, RN, any of those nursing licenses after your name, you now have this invisible cloak of leadership that you should be utilizing. And begin to start looking outside of traditional bedside and clinical um, realms. Like what can you do in the political space? What can you learn about finance that you don't know? What can you do around getting really innovative and changing, you know, where you're at? If you don't like something, stop complaining and actually do something about it. Incredible advice. Incredible advice. So if, if anybody wants to follow you, check out see any updates, see how you're doing, where can they find you? So for any nurses that are listening, you can find me at nurseleadernetwork.com or you can um, check out my podcast, Nurse Leader Network. And I have everything that a nurse would need to change their lives and the lives of others. And then for folks that are interested in my work around entrepreneurship and um, app development and um, mental health and suicide prevention, um, they can find me on LinkedIn. Again, I'm Dr. Chris Racinos on LinkedIn, or you can find me at Hello Harmony on Instagram. Dr. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Really enjoyed the conversation, the stories, and and your insights. Awesome. It's been great. Thank you. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Everyone Hates Healthcare. If you have a healthcare story, we want to hear it. All you got to do is shoot me an email with my healthcare story in the subject line to mystory at healthkarma.org. Also, Check out all the episode notes, resources, and more ways you can take control of your healthcare. All you got to do is just visit healthkarma.org slash podcast. While you're on there, help us out. Don't forget to drop us a rating, a review, and share it with all your family and friends. Can't wait to see you next week. This episode was brought to you by the Outcomes Rocket Network. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure you leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and let us know what you're looking for.